This week, we're talking about workflows and digital asset management with Sean Bagshaw, and you're listening to the Landscape Photography Podcast. This is Nick Page, and as always, thank you guys so much for tuning in this week. I'm excited because we're going to be talking with Sean Bagshaw this week. Sean is a Photoshop guru, a post-processing guru, and we're going to be talking about digital asset management and workflows. Before we jump into this week's episode, I want to let you know that my Ireland workshop is up and available for registrations. We're going to be on the north coast of Ireland. It's going to be an amazing time. We're going to be photographing everything from seascapes with old abandoned castles, old abandoned castles. We're going to be photographing lighthouses, iconic rock formations, and of course, old creepy trees. If you're interested in any of that, you can find all of my workshops and tutorials over at nickpagephotography.com. Really excited about this Ireland workshop. I'm teaming up with Neil Ritchie, who is a good friend of mine and an Irish photographer, and he's going to be kind of guiding us around. So if you're interested in joining me, you can find that information over on the website. All right, with that, let's jump into this week's episode where we talk with Sean Bagshaw about digital asset management and workflows. So digital asset management is probably not the most exciting thing in the world, but it is super important and it kind of applies to everybody. And I'm excited to have you on the show, Sean, to talk about this with me. I'm glad to be here, Nick. I've been following your adventures. It looks like you've been in the Dolomites lately with Aaron Bobnick. That looked like a good time. That was a good time. Boy, that was my first time going to that particular part of the world. And you know, I'm a big mountain guy from from way back, even before photography. But uh, I have to say, you know, I've seen a lot of mountains, and those mountains really impress me. And to go there in the winter time, uh, looked like you guys had some good conditions to shoot in. Looked pretty awesome. We really did. The Dolomites put on a great show. This, you know, they've had a couple of tough winters recently. Uh, Aaron was there. Uh, about this time last year and it was just bare dirt and flowers coming up oh wow but, you know they were getting new snow the whole time we were there and it was one of those we had like this couple week period where it would snow for a little while every day and then the fog and the clouds would kind of move around for a little while every day so it was always fresh snow and interesting light and drama and so yeah it really was it was spectacular conditions and a super fun trip one of the things that always strikes me about that area is just there's so many low clouds and the way they kind of interact and move around the mountains and stuff it just looks so so amazing yeah it is and you know i I, i'm not familiar enough in just my one visit there so far to really understand what the weather patterns are and whatnot but i see that in the images and thought you know yeah what's going on with that and then when i got there and actually experienced it yeah it's this amazing atmosphere there's some sort of moisture in the air it gives all these different layers of of clouds and and whatnot and then there's it's kind of a nice soft filtered light we were able to shoot all day long and usually in those kind of high mountain environments if you've got sun coming through midday just gets so intense and blown out and contrasty but it didn't it it stayed really soft all day long that's so cool. I'm going to have to go there someday. <laughs> Watching your guys' Instagram stories make me so excited. I, I have to go. <laughs> it's a great place, yeah. So I wanted to have you on to t- help me talk about digital asset management and just kind of workflows in general. And I think the easiest way to talk about this is probably chronological order. 
Uh, I know I had a couple questions come through on the Facebook page. People were asking, like, with uh, cameras changing and, you know, the sensors getting better in our cameras, has that changed how you're shooting for dynamic range? Are you bracketing less now than you used to? Absolutely, yeah, far less. Some of that just has to come with, you know, learning and understanding the capabilities of your particular equipment. But as you learn what the capabilities are of these new cameras, yeah, you, you, you get that you can trust that, um, you know, you're going to be able to pull back highlight information or you're going to be able to open up shadow detail without introducing noise and things like that. So, yeah, we're, you know, in the past and I'm shooting a Canon 5D Mark IV right now, which is really good dynamic range in it, but it's still not up to what the current Sony and Nikon cameras are yeah. doing. I was just thinking but that it, there's going to be a Canon joke in here somewhere because we're going <laughs> to be like, well, we both shoot Canon, so we still both still bracket. <laughs> yeah, and, and I still do, but where I used to maybe shoot three or four one-stop bracket, you know, increments, now I can get away with two that are maybe two or three stops apart and know that there's going to be enough overlap there. And then in a lot of cases where in the past I would have maybe bracketed two shots, you know, a highlight shot and a shadow shot. Now I know I can, if it's only that much dynamic range, I can get it all in one. Mm. So it's still, it's improving and it's great. Yeah, it's, so, it's nice. So you said that you're actually putting your brackets one stop apart? Well, that's in the past, you know, with okay. the... Uh, you know, with the earlier 5D cameras, I would, if I was going to bracket, I would just bracket in one-stop increments. And that was mostly just to make sure I had the best information for right. all tonal areas. It wasn't always necessary, but I'm always going for good quality and like a big print size file and a fine art print. So I want my shadows to be noiseless and I want my yeah. highlight colors to be perfect. So it probably was overkill even at that point. But I still did it. But now, like I said, I can go more two stops or even maybe beyond two stops with the 5D Mark IV and have enough overlap and good quality. Yeah, it's kind of, I, I don't know if you, you feel this, but I certainly feel it is that social media has kind of changed the way I shoot a little bit. And I hate, I really hate admitting that. But the thing is, like so many of our photos are viewed only on Facebook or only on Instagram. And it, it is so difficult to keep that level of perfectionism. I don't know. Like if you're processing for a print, you're going to be very meticulous and really pay attention about absolute image quality. But if you're processing a photo that you know is probably never going to be printed and is only going up on Instagram, you tend to get a little quick and sloppy. And I wonder how many people nowadays are processing quick and sloppy rather than post-processing what they print in mind. When you're editing, are you editing every single photo like you're going to print it? I think because I've got so many years of that was always the focus that that's just kind of how I do stuff. It's, it's uh, slow and tedious in a lot of cases, but mm -hmm. I love that part of the developing. And I love, there's a certain kind of internal satisfaction of knowing, you know, that's a really clean master file. It's, it's, you know, museum ready or it's gallery ready. I get a certain satisfaction out of that, or maybe it's almost like a little OCD or something where mm -hmm. I just can't let that go. But every once in a while, if I'm in a hurry and I know that an image, you know, is, is never going to see anything bigger than an iPhone. Yeah. Yeah. I'll cut some corners for sure. Yeah. I've wondered the same thing myself too, because like you said, it is, it's amazing what sizing down an image for screen yeah. viewing can cover up. 
And so I see a lot of images that are beautiful and I just want, you know, and, and however people want to do it is fine with me, but I often wonder, it's like, okay, so if you really could look in close on that image, you know, is there noise there? What's the focus like? What's the depth of field like? You know, if there has been blending or various other types of adjustments, um, you know, what do the transitions look like up close? That kind of mm -hmm. stuff. That's one of the things that I'm going to challenge myself this year, I think, kind of a New Year's resolution, even though it's, what, February, almost March? Um, is that <laughs> You can do it anytime. <laughs> exactly. Is that I want to process every image like it's going in a museum to, you know, keep that that quality level high. That way I just feel better about myself. You know, it's a, it's a self-gratification <laughs> thing. But yeah, that's one of the goals I have for myself. I think it's a good goal, but it's also a, you know, a, a kind of a time intensive goal. So, <laughs> yeah. and there's, I think it's also fine to totally, you know, work your images for the audience and for the output. You know, if you know the output is Instagram, uh, you know, you don't get a lot of return for spending three days working yeah. on a, a file. Absolutely. Absolutely. So, uh, you take the photo, are you cataloging inside of Lightroom or are you using a different cataloging method? I, I try to keep everything as simple as possible and the fewer apps that I have to deal with, the better for me. So I, I stick pretty much to Lightroom and Photoshop and yeah, all my cataloging is done in Lightroom. So import to Lightroom, you know, keyword and catalog and tags, whatever, if I'm, I'm doing any sort of, uh, you know, tagging or marking it's all going on in in lightroom and lightroom works really well for me i'm sure there's probably faster things out there but mm -hmm. lightroom's working yeah that was another question that came in is that do you foresee yourself ever migrating away from lightroom because of speed issues you know probably if i tried some other apps and saw how fast it might it could be maybe <laughs> but so far um my lightroom and on my computer system, the way I've got it set up and with the, mm -hmm. you know, they keep making updates to how Lightroom can access processor and all that. It seems like it's plenty fast. Now, like I said, I may have a different opinion if I tried some other stuff, but I do know that like sometimes I work with clients or friends or whatever on their computers in Lightroom and I've seen Lightroom just dragging, barely yeah. moving. And uh, mine, it, I don't have that experience. So uh, uh, fingers crossed and I'll keep working with it. I kind of feel like the landscape photographer has a different experience with Lightroom than say the portrait photographer does. And because I do both, I, I know because, you know, I shoot a portrait session or shoot a wedding or shoot a sporting event. Going through that many photos and culling that many photos is just an absolute nightmare. That's when you notice how slow Lightroom is. But for landscape photography, you come home with, you know, 50 photos. That's not nearly as bad as, you know, 4,000. That's right. really when you start noticing the difference. Right. Okay. So we're cataloging in Lightroom. Let's talk about just kind of the general workflow. Like if you were to kind of give us a, you know, view from a hundred feet above, what, what is your general workflow look like? And I don't know that I have any right answers. In fact, it's always fun when I put out, you know, just talk to other people about what they do. And it's amazing how many times I think, wow, I've been doing this 15 years and 20 years, however long I've been doing it and never thought about that. Yeah. <laughs> so uh, I'm, I'm sure I'll say, you know, what, what this is and I'll get all kinds of feedback about, oh, how about 
doing it this way, that'd be way better. But my, my general workflow is I import, I do a few kind of presets on import, but not much. Um, you know, some, some general basic keywords, presets, super basic presets that, uh, cause there's not much I do the same to every other image file, every image file other than like chromatic aberration removal and that kind of stuff. Anyway, so some real basic stuff. Those go into folders. I start with dated folders for a while and the dated folders let me know that those are folders that still have images that need to be worked on. Something needs to happen there. Keywording, images that need to be developed, uh, whatever it is, culling. And then once I've managed that, then I'll move the images out of the dated folder into categorized folders because you could go, I guess, all with just dated folders or whatever, because if you keyword well, you can still always search and find mm -hmm. images. But sometimes I don't do a great job of keywording. Other times I'm not accessing my image folders through Lightroom. And uh -huh. so, for example, if I'm on Backblaze and I need to find an image, it needs to be in a folder that's not just a date. Because I, you know, five years ago, I have no idea what date I took an image on. So I go to categorize folders. So at least if I'm searching outside of Lightroom, I have half a chance of actually finding it. Yeah, that sounds like a much better method than what I do. I leave everything dated and I kind of separate it. I'll have like a travel folder and inside that travel folder, I will have like the name of the trip and I'll give each trip kind of a general name like, you know, Kwai 2017 or whatever. And then inside of that, then I leave stuff dated. The problem with that method is that it does take me a long time to go back and quickly find what I'm looking for if I'm looking for something. But the way that I kind of cull and decide what I'm going to process is so like just a moment of inspiration, like, oh, I'm inspired to go process an Oregon coast photo. And then I'll just kind of dig through and find something I haven't processed yet and process it. It's not the most organized way. My way is a little bit more just like, you know, in a moment of inspiration, I'm going to go find a photo. And that's kind of how I've been editing. And it's, <laughs> it is not the best organizational way at all. Well, but that's the great thing. You know, all of us are different. All our, our, our brains work differently, even though it seems like this is really not, the, you know, the cataloging and the management of the assets seems like such a non-creative process, but it really is creative, you know, mm -hmm. and so we all kind of have a different flow and a different thing that makes sense to us. So that's what I would say more than anything is, you know, find, find what works for you and makes sense to you and, and do that. Another interesting topic is that, you know, we're, we're taking stuff over into Photoshop and we're doing all of this processing. We're ending up with these gigantic files. And then the question that becomes, are you saving to a different file type to get around that four gigabyte maximum file size? Or are you merging some layers? What, what do you do in those situations? Yeah. So I try to, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm old school Photoshop. I really try to keep uh, my workflow non-destructive and uh, backward flexible, I call it, you know, the ability to go back and adjust anything that I've done at any point in the future. So I'm trying to keep all my layers. I try not to flatten. I try not to, you know, put a bunch of, uh, opaque pixel layers in the middle of my stack and all that kind of stuff. Mm -hmm. But that means, yeah, I do end up with some pretty big image files. So if I can keep it in that four gigabyte TIFF file size, that's awesome. And then if I go out of that, I go to the 
a PSB file instead of you know trying to flatten down or have multiple iterations of the same image file just in different stages all that stuff gets confusing for me the PSB files are not ideal but they can be as big as you want them to be essentially and actually I recorded a video on my YouTube channel about how to save a PSB file or save to a PSB file in a way that also keeps a flattened TIFF file that you can have uh, in in Lightroom because that's one of the problems with the PSB yeah. is Lightroom doesn't support them but there is a workaround it's, it's not perfect but it's what I do. What do you do? Go well, PSB or do you flatten? Basically what I do is, and I usually with a 5D Mark IV, you know, single frame, I don't run into it too often, but when I run into it often is when I'm doing like a panorama and then it's like guaranteed going to happen. But a lot of times what I'll do is if I do exposure blending at the beginning of my process, I will exposure blend. And once I'm fairly confident that, that, that I'm happy with that exposure blend, I'll merge those layers because the likelihood of going back and re-exposure blending something is very, very low for me. So, yeah. yeah. So I'll yeah, merge. I do this, actually do the same. And then, like you said, I try to avoid those like merge visible layers, you know, opaque pixel layers, because those just like throw the file size through the roof. If I do get to a point where like I've transformed something or I've done a little bit of free transform or warp, anything below that I'm pretty much not going to be able to go back and redo anyways without all of that time that I poured in afterwards being wasted so if I do do something like that I merge everything below it and it's definitely a very destructive way of working but I try to do all of those kind of edits early on in the workflow that way all of the creative editing dodging and burning and stuff I can go back and tweak later on but I still am not losing all of my work. So I can go back and tweak all of the, the creative edits, but the main bulk edits like the exposure blending and, and free transform stuff, that stuff is not going to be able to go back and be tweaked. Yeah. It's not ideal, but at the same time, like if I'm going to go back and reprocess something, I probably want to start from scratch anyways, because anything that I did even three months ago, I just look at it and I'm like, ah, it's garbage. <laughs> <laughs> it's a common affliction with, uh, with photographers. Yeah, exactly. Um, but no, it sounds like, it sounds like our workflows in that respect are pretty similar. And I, I advocate that in, in my workflow tutorials and in my classes and stuff where I talk about, yeah, if you're going to obviously be doing any sort of uh, blending of multiple frames, of course, that's got to get done first, yep. but really get that dialed in and nail that down and make sure that you've got everything looking good. And then if you really feel confident about that, go ahead and flatten because once you get down the road a few, you know, a few steps and start adding in uh, lots of detailed mass and luminosity mass and that kind of stuff, you're not going to be able to go back and tweak that anyway. Uh, that, and then also, yeah, if you're going to make any sort of pixel altering adjustments, so warping, transforming, cloning, healing, stretching, any of that kind of stuff, do that before you do anything else, get that done and out of the way. Or if you, if you miss something, then wait until the very end and just mm -hmm. do it on a layer at the very top. Yeah, that's try what, to do that in the middle of the workflow. Yeah, that's what I was going to say is do that really destructive stuff right at the very beginning or right at the very end. That way you yep. can go and undo it or you're just 100% committed to it if you do it in the very beginning. So when you're processing and you're doing all of this stuff, are you exporting for multiple formats? So for example, you edit a photo 
are you going to export for web or, and export for, for print? Or how, how does the whole exporting thing work? Or do you just export as needed? I export as needed. So I, I create a master file, you know, so I go through that whole process we just talked about, uh, you know, start in Lightroom, then move over to Photoshop, get all my layers in there, create the master file that is, uh, you know, as perfect as I can get it in that moment, but it still has all this backward flexibility. So if I need to go back in the future and tweak something, I can. And then anytime I need to output for any particular use, I just go to the master file and you know if it's a quick thing i can just output directly from lightroom you know export from lightroom i usually prefer to open up that master file back into photoshop and then from there i can you know size it for print and sharpen it for print or you know and soft proof it for print depending on what the print is you know the print style print media print output device uh, or I can size it and sharpen it and prep it for web or whatever other particular output. You know, maybe it's a slideshow, maybe it's, uh, you know, you name it. And that way, at that point, I'm just outputting for a need. And then once the output file has been used, a lot of times it just gets deleted because I know that in the future, I'll just come back and uh, mm -hmm. re prep it for output again. I mean, there are certain times when I know I'm going to output this and it'll get used multiple times and then I'll archive that that output file. But if it's a kind of a one-off sort of use, I'm just going to make an email version to email to a client and probably never need to email that image to anybody ever again, then yeah, I just delete it. Yeah, very similar to what I do. When I'm processing a photo, typically the first way it's going to be used is social media. So I'll process an image and then I'll web sharpen with TK Actions and then I'll export into a Google Drive folder. And the benefit of it going into Google Drive is that it's all accessible from my phone. So I can, it just exports to Google Drive and oh, there it is on my phone. And I can just grab it, post it to Vero. Huh? Vero? Uh, yeah, maybe you can. You might be able to. <laughs> yeah, if it loads. Uh, but, or Instagram or wherever I'm going to post it. That way I've got a copy of all of my, you know, finished images in a Google Drive folder that's easily accessible from my phone or whatever. And then save that master file because if you're going to be printing, typically, like you said, you need to do soft proofing or you know, you're going to make fine adjustments to brightness or whatever right there at that last stage because typically you need a slightly brighter photo for print than you do for the web. So yeah, sweet. Exactly. Yep, and I even go so far as to do different profiling, you know, ICC profiles from different print labs and, you know, different sharpening for different print surfaces and different color correction for different print uh, devices, you know, whether it's yeah. a Chromera printer, inkjet printer, it's a, you know, some aluminum uh, um, sublimation, whatever it is, those all require slightly different tweaks, you know, to get the, the final print to look good. So, yeah, I just do all of that in the moment when I know that output is needed. Dan, and that's another one of the 2018 resolutions is I, w I really want to print more. But before I print more, I really need to increase my knowledge because like everything that you just said, I was like, oh man, I need to learn that. Oh man, I need to learn that because <laughs> I re really, I've just been with my printing, I've just kind of been winging it, you know, and I, I know that it needs to be a little bit brighter and then I get really familiar with my printer and I know that, oh, this particular printer comes back a little bit, you know, less magenta than it looks on my screen or whatever. And I've just been winging it rather than soft proofing and I, I really need to 
up my soft proofing game for sure <laughs> yeah boy printing is a it's a you know it's a whole nother learning curve a whole nother workflow beyond uh you know all the stuff that we do capturing and then and then developing or processing then printing is a whole nother piece yeah so let's talk about backup storage devices and all that fun stuff what is your backup strategy right now it's funny i just uh had a good conversation on my facebook page about this just a couple days ago and it's funny i just threw up a i don't know why i just mentioned what my backup strategy was and uh, then i get this whole string this great thread of conversation about everyone chiming in about how they do it and uh, it's amazing how many different ways of going about it there is but my basic uh system and i again don't know if this is the best system uh, but it's what has been working for me for a lot of years. First of all, is I keep all my image files on uh, an onboard internal drive. So I've got an 11 terabyte striped array drive in my in my machine, and I've got about six terabytes of of image data. So I've still got some room to grow there. But every time I outgrow my internal drive, I have to keep going bigger. Yeah. Uh, but I have them all uh, there internal you know on board like that because i might be working on any image file at any time and if they're on an external drive or somewhere else for me it's just too slow and i know that i understand i'm a pc guy but i understand thunderbolt's pretty fast going to external drives but i don't have i don't have that so everything internal and i've got it all it works fast and i can get to it and uh anyway so that's there then that gets backed up uh continuously all the time to the cloud and i was going with crash plan but uh you know they're they're going to enterprise only and they kind of raise their prices so i just finished doing a four month uh, uh. upload to backblaze but um, so far, I'm really happy with Backblaze. And I got all six terabytes up there, so that that's awesome. And uh, yeah, their their prices are good, and their service has been awesome. So that's going on continuously to the cloud. Then I also back up uh, every few days to a Drobo, which is a kind of a raid for dummies that I've got. It's got, uh, <laughs> I, love that. I think it's got about 16 terabytes of drive space in it, but I can swap out drives on the fly. And so if I need more space, I can just pop in a, di- a bigger drive. So that's, uh, you know, redundant within itself because it's got a bunch of drives in it. So I can lose, I think, up to two of those drives and not lose any data. So it goes uh, back up to that pretty frequently. And then I also have some just regular um, external hard drives, high capacity external hard drives that I store off site. And I probably... I, I say I back up to those once a month, but the reality is sometimes three or four months goes by before I actually get around to it. Bill, that sounds like a really solid setup. It's more solid than what I have. I'm also a PC guy. I have three internal drives, one for my operating system, one spinning drive for the bulk of my data, and then I have another SSD drive that I work off of for speed. And then once I'm finished working on something, I move it on to that larger spinning drive. It's a eight terabyte. And then I back up all of the drives that I have internal onto my NAS system. I have a Syntology 5 bay, which is a NAS system, which means it's network attached, which means it's slow. But I've got like 26 terabytes of storage on it. And because I do so much video and sports and weddings and all of those other really high data 
stuff. I just have an obscene amount of data and it can't all fit on one drive. So I archive everything onto that NAS system. I also back up everything that's on my computer to that NAS system. I also back up everything like my main data drive that's internal onto a separate external hard drive. So I've got two backups that way. But the big hole is that I don't have anything off site and I really need to. I need to have either like some kind of fire safe with like, you know, all my most important data inside that fire safe or I need to do a cloud backup service. But like you, I started with a cloud backup. I uploaded for probably two months and my internet service provider was like, what are you doing? You're like uploading (laughs) so much. And like they just literally like I got a personal phone call from my internet service provider, like guilting me out of doing (laughs) backblaze. And they were, they were like threatening to like, you know, restrict my, restrict my access because I was using so much bandwidth, but wow. Yeah. Wow. The joys of a small town. (laughs) (laughs) Nick, you're using up like 50% of the town's bandwidth. Yeah. No one else in town can get on the internet. (laughs) Yeah, exactly. You just broke the internet, Nick. Um, So I don't have, I don't have any kind of cloud backup yet, but I really, really need to, I need to have that offsite stuff. Yeah, the, the cloud backup is nice. Uh, you know, I, I resisted it for a long time, but knowing if, you know, my house burns down or, uh, you know, whatever happens, that that's still out there. So there's that kind of nice piece. The other nice piece is I love that it's just a continuous thing. You know, every, you know, minute to minute, if I make a change to an image and save it, uh, then Backblaze comes in and finds that change and immediately, um, you know, backs that up. So that's happening you know, there's essentially no, never any data loss with that system. And the other nice part is that I can access files from anywhere in the world if I need to get something, you know, in a pinch. And I don't have to carry around my entire photo catalog with me on a hard drive when I'm traveling, which, you know, I didn't, I never liked having mm-hmm. to do that. Plus it was a big pain in the butt to make sure that hard drive was up to date. And then I just felt the security thing with you know walking around with all my images like that anyway so yeah now it's like if i'm somewhere else and a client needs an image and can't wait till i get home i can at least go grab it off the cloud yeah i think what i'm gonna do is i'm going to kind of prioritize what i need to back up the most and then that will that particular folder however i decide to organize it will be what i back up to the to the cloud because i need i need to at least have the most important stuff up on the cloud i don't have to have like all the old you know weddings from four years ago and old videos that are on youtube anyways i don't need that stuff uploaded i just need all your raw video footage from you know forever exactly. exactly i just i just need that crazy sunset over Palouse Falls. I need those raw files backed up because that'll never happen again or whatever. So yeah. So kind of getting back into the the workflow aspect. Once you open a photo up into Photoshop, and I know every photo is different for sure. How do you decide what you're going to do to a photo? That is the million dollar question. And that's the one that I get asked a lot. Like people say, Sean, I know what I can do. I just don't know what I want to do or mm-hmm. what I should do. <laughs> That's really when this comes down to being an art. You know, there's a lot of technical aspects to to photography, but the art is how do you know what you want to do with an image or to an image? 
for me, it's kind of a, it's a multi-stage process and it's really organic, but it starts when I'm in the field, when I'm uh, capturing the image. Uh, and even sometimes before that, even some kind of pre-visualization of maybe the type of images that I want to create. And then when I run across a scenario out in the field that may uh, lend itself to that, then I kind of go there and think, okay, what's this experience like as I'm photographing this? Trying to make some mental notes about well, how do I think, you know, where is this going to go later? Uh, but then when I get into actually working on the image, developing and processing the image, uh, it's really a kind of a step-by-step -step process. It's kind of like I have this general idea of where I want the image to end up, but to get there, well, first of all, I'll identify the image obviously needs X. And so I'll do X. And then when I've got X accomplished, then I'll say, okay, now what does it need next? Mm -hmm. And I'll identify the next thing and work on accomplishing that. And then I just kind of keep going through that process. And the things that I'm, that I think the image needs next get kind of smaller and smaller and more incremental or more subtle. And eventually I get to a place where I think, you know, I, I really can't, I don't, I don't know what it needs next, uh, or it just feels like it doesn't need anything. And at that point, I'm usually not done, but at least I'm done for now and I'll let it sit and then come back later and see if anything else occurs to me. And that process, uh, my, my friend, Tony Kuiper really shared a lot of information with me and I realized that's what I was doing, but he kind of, uh, formalized it for me in my head of, it's really just as simple as asking yourself, what do I think the image needs next? And then do that. I've always kind of felt like the act of taking a photo is kind of all about figuring out what you like about the scene. Like, what is it about what I'm standing in front of that really makes me want to take a photo? And then you try to fill the frame with that and exclude exactly. all, and exclude all of that other stuff that just isn't really helping the reason you're taking a photo process. Taking the photo is very much about the positives. Like I love this and I love this and I love this. So I'm going to fill the frame with all of that. And then you come back and you edit and then editing is more about what don't you like? <laughs> what is wrong with this <laughs> right. photo? And so right. you're, you're looking at this file and you're like, Oh, I just hate how flat it is. Let's add some contrast or, right. you know, the reasons that you took the photo in the first place, you're trying to really draw attention to those while taking the eye away from and downplaying the things that you didn't necessarily like about the photo. And so precisely, yeah, it's all about kind of like figuring out what annoys you when you're processing. And when you're taking the photo, it's all about what is speaking to you and what's, what's inspiring to you and what, what you like about the photo. Yeah. And uh, you know, to expand on that, it's really, again, really similar. I'll, I'll talk uh, to students a lot and say, you know, they'll say, I'm not, you know, I'm pointing my camera this direction. Like you said, I'm pointing my camera at this, but it's really not, you know, I'm not getting the photo that I'm looking for. And so the question I ask is, you know, what do you like about it? What is it that made you point your camera at yeah. that instead of something else? But then make the photo about that. So if you're, you know, you've got the camera pointed at a tree, but why did you point at that tree? Well, you know, I loved the motion of the leaves in the wind and I loved the way the light was backlighting the leaves and, uh, and the colors were really spectacular to me. And then I say, okay, so now the photo is no longer about a tree. It's about motion and backlighting and color. Make your photo about that and forget about the fact that it's a tree. And then, like you said, so now you've captured that, 
you know you've got hopefully those raw materials that have that essence you know that informs your camera settings and lens choice and all that kind of stuff and then when you get into developing it yeah it's like how do you communicate that thing that you were feeling in that moment how do you make a flat two-dimensional moment of time communicate all of that to somebody who sees it who wasn't there another common question i always get asked is like how do you know when a photo is done and so so i'm going to ask you sean how do you know when a photo is done when are you done processing a photo (laughs) well i think my cop-out answer is going to be that i think a photo is never done uh the the reality is is that i am always finding little minor things that Mm -hmm. i can do to improve my images and so i really try to stick with that the idea that i'm never truly done with an image doesn't mean i'm going to come back and do more on most of my images but just the idea that they all have maybe some potential there that i haven't tapped into yet but (laughs) that's not really the answer to your question the answer (laughs) or the you know the question is how do you know when to stop messing with it you know that kind of comes down to what i said before that idea of what do i think the image needs next and getting to a place where you're really not sure what it needs next or you just feel like it doesn't need anything next Uh, that's a good place to stop or if you start getting into a place i think where it just feels like um you know it's 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 not going well i think if you get kind of frustrated or you feel like you're reaching kind of a creative impasse that's a good place to stop and i I would say go away, but come back, you know, Mm -hmm. maybe a few hours, a couple days, even weeks later. (laughs) But usually for me, it's a few hours or maybe a day and I'll look at it. And at that point, when I look at it again, I immediately know after having some time and some space from it, I can look at it and go, oh yeah, it still looks great. I don't see anything there that's, that's, you know, bothering me. So it's done. Or oh i came back and what was i thinking the colors are all off or oh man the 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 tonalities are not balanced or whatever it is it immediately pops out of you once you've given yourself a break i do a lot of my editing kind of late at night like you know i put my son to bed and i sit down in front of the computer listen to music and process a photo and a lot of times especially if i'm just like really not feeling the photo i go to bed and i'm just like that photo sucks (laughs) and then i i get (laughs) i get up in the morning and a lot of times it was just because i was tired and grumpy and i was being too hard on myself and i look at the photo i'm like well you know it's kind of sucks but if i just like backed off some of the contrast that I was doing there and it usually a couple little tweaks and the photo's done but like you said if you get to that point where you're kind of reaching that creative block where you're like I just I don't know this just photo is just I shouldn't have even taken this photo it, once you reach that point it's because it's a creative thing and the creative mind can only be creative for so long of a stretch at a time before it's just like I just want to watch TV you know I just want to turn off absolutely you, you have to take that break in regards to knowing when a photo is done usually I take it until the pixels start to cry and bleed <laughs> no, but the <laughs> the uh, other way that I've heard it put is Erin uh, Bobnick actually said she edits until nothing is bothering her anymore. That's another way of putting exactly what you said, where it's just this process of figuring out the photo needs, what is bothering you. You know, obviously, if if there's distractions in the in a bottom corner or whatever, taking care of those distractions, you know, that's another check mark off the list of things that this photo needs. And once there's 
nothing in the photo that really bothers you anymore maybe that photo is done for now and i like what yep. you say about you know a photo is never done because anybody that uh, has gone back and looking at old photos that you've processed you know that that photo definitely wasn't done because it just needs redone reprocessing old photos is one of my favorite things ever so if, i agree a photo is never really done awesome well, Sean, thank you so much for coming on. What what cool stuff do you have coming up and where can people find out about that cool stuff? Well, you can find out about whatever stuff I have, whether it's cool or not. And plenty <laughs> of it's not that cool. Oh, it's, it's so <laughs> oh, cool. Okay. Well, I, I hope so. Sometimes I don't know. I feel like I'm getting old. But anyway, all the usual places, of course, you know, all the social media stuff. Plus, you know, my website, which is outdoorexposurephoto.com. And also the Photo Cascadia website is a great place to uh that i do you know a lot of writing and sharing and do that with the photo cascadia team so that's another great place to keep up with uh with some good stuff and uh, in terms of upcoming projects there's always you know tons of stuff on, on the fire i've got a couple of uh, video tutorial projects that are in the works i'm always working with tony kuiper creating educational content for uh tk actions I'm also going to be doing some Fun trips coming up. I've got a trip to Iceland and the Faroe Islands in nice. April. Then later in the summer, we're trying, Aaron and uh, Adam Gibbs and I are trying to get a trip together, an expedition to Baffin Island. If we can pull that off, we'll see. Oh, that's, a, that's a really cool. Really cool. Awesome. Well, thanks for coming on, Sean. It's always good talking to you. My pleasure. <laughs> and thank you guys so much for tuning in. We'll see you in the next episode. Bye-bye. Thank you guys for tuning into this week's episode. Remember, if you want to support the show and keep this show ad free, you can go to patreon.com slash Nick Page Photography. Thank you guys for your support. Now get out there and shoot.